0: Hey guys welcome back to another episode of the howlin hoops podcast as always it's kyle and tom here and uh, nc state is kind of breaking our hearts one uh one game at a time uh we kind of kind of saw this coming a little bit you know it's 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 nc state basketball is not where we want it to be and it's like I said, it's breaking our hearts right now. And with these previous two games, you know, where we basically said that these are must win games, or at least one of them is. And if we can get through, you know, this last six game stretch at somewhere in maybe the three and three or four and two range, we might have a shot. And we just really have not lived up to that. And it's, it's, it's a frustrating thing. It's, it's not something that we really want to even be talking about, if I'm being quite honest. I, Tom, I don't know if you feel the same way about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it's something that we've talked about. We've seen this coming. I mean, the team's not as good as some people's expectations were. I know we started 5-1 and one in conference, but we beat a bad Boston College team in overtime. We beat a bad Notre Dame team. Um, I, actually I wouldn't say bad. They're all right. And Boston College is all right too. But like, like these are teams that we should beat, you know, by 10, 15 points if we're a really good team. And then, you know, Virginia beat by 16 when they were playing really, really bad. We beat a Louisville team by six. We beat a, a good Wake team at, at home. But like this is something that you could have seen coming if for sure.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, and we'll and that all really kind of starts with this Florida state game that we're going to talk about. I mean, I mean, we lost 90 to 83. So you you look at that and you're like, okay, close game, close loss. But if you watch that game, my man, it was really just, it, it was just back and forth, not a whole lot of defense. And I know we've said this plenty of times before, Keats prides his teams on defense, on a defensive culture, To then get out and transition and get easy buckets. And that's that's great if he wants to preach that. But when you don't execute that game plan that you are essentially striving for, what good is that gonna do you? I mean, we in the first half, I I almost I basically lost track of how many points that they were getting just by one guy dribbling past our first guy after we're, you know, once we're Playing the, our full court defense as we usually do, one of their guys just slips right by, drives all the way ninety two feet from one end to the other, and gets an easy layup or makes like a little floater in the paint. I mean, Florida State did not have to shoot really that many threes, and I mean it says here in you know in the box score that you know they went five of fourteen you know so they weren't great at shooting the three but they didn't need to rely on it because all the, they could do whatever they wanted getting to the paint and getting an easy bucket on our defense and it was it was frustrating in that res- regard because you know if you pride yourself on defense and then we can't even get back in transition defense either on a off a made basket or not a made basket it's it's tough it's tough to it's tough to win games like that
1: Yeah, and it's it's something that we've literally talked about over and, over and over and over and over and over again, and nothing has changed. It's just like, I guess he kind of understood that Burns wasn't a good matchup, which he wasn't. Um, only played 12 minutes, no points. But he was so out of place defensively that those easy athletes you were talking about, they were just, he's just not quick enough to get back, and for whatever reasons, our guards don't understand that you can't, you can't press if you can't defend the basket you know i i just i don't understand the thought process behind keats of continuously running this full court defense when it's not working we're not we're not a team that's you know uh turning them over a ton we only forced 11 turnovers to, we had and we had 14 like what is the point of doing it if you're not forcing turnovers on a regular basis?
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And what 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 also bothered me is, you know, I I think you and I you and I texted each other about this when we were watching the game, but at one point in the first half, our lineup on the floor was O'Connell, Jaden Taylor, Dennis Parker Jr., Middlebrooks, and Ernest Ross. That was our lineup when we weren't getting a ton of buckets we were i think down double digits or something we were i think keats was trying to find some sort of spark but he but like what kind of lineup is that when you're already down you're taking dj horn out of the game you take dj Burns. i mean we already kind of had dj burns you know on those limited minutes anyway but you know you're taking out dj horn you're taking out casey Morcel, who actually had a pretty good game and you're taking out some of those guys that can help you produce on the offensive end. And you, and look, I got nothing against Ernest Ross, but the guy's barely seen any minutes all this whole year. And then Keats just says, Hey buddy. And then just throws him into the fire.
1: Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense again, because who in that lineup is going to score? Like you said, Taylor did make a couple shots, but you know, Ernest is not a threat to do anything with the ball unless it's, at the rim, like you know, a a cut, a backdoor cut, or you know, an offensive rebound. Dennis Parker has shown a little bit of that, but not not an ACC play at all. And you know, Michael O'Connell is as good as he is. You know, facilitating the ball. You're nobody's gonna bite on backdoor cuts or anything like that when nobody on the court can shoot. Like, it's just almost idiotic though that keeps thought that that lineup would do anything positive for us. I don't care about giving us a spark. Yeah. Ernest had a game last year against Miami that, you know, he sparked us to, to win, but right. he has not done anything this year. So right. it is just like, it's so frustrating.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, it's like the, th- you know, Ernest Ross had that, you know, kind of big game against Miami last year, but he was also playing throughout the year. It wasn't like he was. Yeah, just, it wasn't like he was sitting on the bench all year. And then he got brought in one game and went off for 17. It was he had a he had a role on the squad. He'd play about, you know, 12 to 15 minutes here or there just to kind of give Burns maybe a break and, or a uh, Dawana a break. So or I mean, just he had a role essentially with. And unfortunately, this year he really hasn't had that opportunity. But then Keats just throws them in there and just says, uh, have at it, man. And then it's like, and you put them in for what however long, six minutes, and then that's it. One rebound, one foul. I and mean, it's just like it just the the decisions Keats makes are just so it's it's much, much worse than just the X's and O's. And I think when you're mentioning like Dennis Parker Jr. and how he really hasn't done much ACC in the ACC play this year, it's because he's not really playing him.
1: Yeah, it's inconsistent minutes. Like, I don't know how you can yeah. expect. How can you expect a guy to get a rhythm in ACC play if he's not playing consistent minutes when he did show promise, you know, knocking down threes, getting to the basket you know, getting, getting steals, like stuff like that. It's just like, what, what was the point? Like what's the, all right.
0: Yeah. What was the point in playing him earlier in the season to kind of get him in that rhythm only to then play him. Take all his minutes away. Yeah. Play him only like 12 minutes at the most. Like it, 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 it sucks because he has a lot of skill and, the purpose of him playing this year or getting him in the game was to help develop him throughout the course of the year. And then that way he would be able to, you know, work on his craft, you know, find what his role, you know, what he finds himself good at throughout the course of the season, how he can use that to help the team further. And if it was like, and if Keats had an idea of like, okay, I'm, to start out, I'm only going to play him an X amount of minutes per game just to kind of get him in the flow of it before ACC play, and then we'll kind of see how it goes from there. And so if he had a cap, if he had like a cap on it to begin the season and then kind of tried to test the waters from there, he may have had that, I don't know, outside looking in, didn't look like he had any sort of clue what he was going to do. So then when you get him into the ACC play, All of a sudden, you know, Dennis Parker plays like 25 minutes against, you know, some of these other teams that were playing early in the season. As soon as you roll into ACC play, he doesn't sniff the floor for more than 12. And he honestly really is a valuable part of our team. And the thing is, is he's still young. So he's still learning and growing in the game. I just don't think Keats' philosophy or I don't even know if it's Keats or if it's like our coaching staff or something like that. It's just his philosophy of getting transfers year year in and year out is really just proven to be an ineffective way for us to be successful for years to come because we're not, because he has to change the way he approaches ACs or just any sort of play from here on out if he's constantly bringing people in, people transferring out, bringing people in, and it's this constant cycle where he's not, hes I don't feel like he's honestly a good enough coach to take a guy, start him out as a freshman, and kind of help him progress all the way through college. Like, it just, I i think that part is just, just not in his repertoire. I mean, you can maybe exclude, I mean, the only maybe excuse is, like Turquavion and Markel Johnson. But like I think we've said this before. It's like he's not able to develop young players well. And it's gonna really kick us in the ass essentially because we're we're not we don't we don't stand a chance against these other pretty well coached teams that know how to develop players the right way.
1: Yeah, um, I don't quite agree with what you said because every team is getting transfers year in year out now. Um, but what you what I do agree with is what you said about you know we don't have any guys like freshmen or who, who are building towards a culture. Like there is no culture on this team to get guys to stay. That's why so many people leave and come and like come in. And, you know, honestly, I think we had too many guys come in through the portal this year. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Middlebrooks and dr have been pretty good and Horn's been pretty good. But you're you're not even playing Cam Woods. You're not even playing guys like L.J. who's shown promise. You're not even playing er- er- Ernest, who showed promise last year. And, you know, we're not even th- we haven't even talked about M.J. Rice. I mean, who knows what he's doing? I but, you know, it's just like if we didn't have so many guys and, and you know, we, we thought it would be a good thing for us to have all these guys that play in and out, but none of them or at least some of the guys on the bench didn't really pan out mainly because they were just not getting playing time, not getting consistent minutes to where they can get a feel, get a rhythm. It's just like Keats's philosophy about, or what we thought his philosophy of was, was what FSU does, and you know, they played eleven guys, um, uh, ten of them had eight or more minutes. Then you look at ours; we only played seven guys with eight or more minutes. I I just don't understand what he talks about. Is his philosophy it is just not what actually happens. And it's been a theme for years and years and years. Um, and I, I just think it I don't care about a buyout. It is time to move on from him.
0: Yeah, because I, I honestly think that the players haven't they I don't think any of the players in his tenure have really ever bought into his philosophy. They might act like it if they if they're acting like it, they're very good actors because just from what i just from some of the things i've seen it's just it doesn't seem like people are really buying in like maybe some people are but that that's just probably who they are like i think jaden taylor has always been a pretty decent defender regardless but like you know you can't you can't just it's so tough bringing so many guys in coming in from different schools trying to get them to buy into a culture that you're trying Really, he's still, I think, trying to build in the, in these seven years, and it just seems like nobody's really buying into it. Because year after year, it feels like we're still playing one-on-one isolation ball a lot of the time. You know, there are moments this year where we've where I've seen we've had greater success in you know averaging more assists per game, where we're there are games here and there where we're able to move without the ball and you know be effective in other areas and that's when you know th- that's when our good plays happen but then it you know then we go on the those 8 minute droughts where we look like a team that has never played basketball before because we get complacent and then we you know might feel unnatural when we move without the when we move without the ball and then we it, we're you know winding down the shot clock for ISO ball and just throwing up a prayer. And I just really, I, I don't even think Keats I mean, Keats's culture that he's tried to build is, I don't even know if you can really call it a culture.
1: There I isn't think. one. It's people it just, just doing whatever they
0: one. want essentially.
1: And, you know, as much as I hate, uh, Carolina, um, they have they built the blueprint of a great team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they as
0: much yeah as the, much as you had your pieces
1: in, in RJ Davis and Armando Baycott, which have been staples for the team for years, and then you know they got in proven transfers who know how to play a role in Cormac Ryan and Harrison Ingram, and then they hit on a freshman point guard in Elliot Cadeau. And then they have solid bench pieces, transfer Jalen Withers. But they also have solid bench piece, Seth Trimble, Jalen Washington, recruits that, you know, bought. they all have bought into how Hubert wants to play. And, you know, some people knock what Hubert does as a coach, but he runs circles around Keats. He does.
0: I think a lot of coaches are running circles around him. but
1: I know, but just me saying that Hubert does means a lot. Because I don't think he's a he's a great coach either.
0: Yeah, and I mean we can and you know and to harp on that you know we'll transition into the UNC game which, you know, it ended up being you know a nine point loss. Um, I kind of was anything I guess ten or under I was going to be fine with. Um, It just looked like UNC just kind of put their foot on the gas a little bit and. They controlled those last few minutes of the game, which I think have been the biggest kryptonite to Keats this year. It's like we might finish the first four minutes of the the last four minutes of the first half well, but then when it comes to the last four minutes in the second half, I just don't think we've been that strong this year at, at really trying to figure out a way to close out games even when we're up or when, when we're down. It just it seems like those last four minutes, it's just the like the worst time for for an nc state basketball fan because you just you're just waiting for the inevitable to happen which it ends up happening almost every time and we just cannot take advantage of you know maybe silly mistakes here and there from our opponent and then we just kind of fall a little bit farther and farther behind and then just can't quite get over that hump and that's been a struggle i think this entire year
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say the last four minutes were bad. It was the last 18 minutes of the second half. Good (laughs) Lord. We made a jumper coming out of the break, 1932. And then our next made shot was. I got to scroll here for a little bit. (laughs) 852. Eight, we went 11 minutes of basketball without meaning, making a shot in which we went from a 47-37 lead to a 66-56 deficit. They flipped 20 points on us in 11, 11 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, going into halftime, you know, I'm talking to friends and whatnot, watching the game, and I'm like, like these first four minutes, we're gonna be down, we're gonna be losing by the 16 minute mark, the under under 16 timeout. Lo and behold, we were. You know, Burns just, I mean, he started off pretty well, um, in the first half, he had a couple good post ups mm-hmm. to get Bay caught. Yeah, starting out of the second half, he was horrendous, horrendous. And Carolina did make a little bit of adjustments to him in the second half, but he just wasn't as aggressive going at Baycott. Baycott was giving him his spin. Baycott was letting him have the spin. He wouldn't do it. And it didn't make any sense. He would just go into the the side that uh, Baycott was playing and force up a terrible shot. And, you know, He's the guy that ha- him and both DJs are the guys that have to end droughts like this. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to happen when both of them are taking horrible shots. And, you know, Horn also was forcing things. You know, he had, I think, 14 points in the first half and just, I know, 16 points in the first half and just disappeared in the second half. I just don't get
0: it. Yeah, it's just it's it's tough to watch, man. It's just like when I mean, we only committed nine turnovers. It's just like so. It's not like we were, you know, t- constantly turning the ball over. And you know, Carolina, they're you know they're a scrappy team, so they they can figure out a way to make you turn the ball over. I mean, we it's we took care of the ball decently well. It's just that you know another kind of bad shooting night. You know, across the board. I mean, not bad. I wouldn't say bad. Bad. You know, we shot four over almost 42 percent from the field
1: no it was bad in the second half
0: but second half that uh, obviously we're near 70 percent in the first so dropping to 42 you know that looks horrible but i mean it it, what really sucks for for me personally is you know watching this Jaden taylor up and down kind of season like him starting out pretty well in the beginning of the season and you're thinking, okay, this this guy's gonna, you know, be a good good option for us to get. We him thought he was going
1: to be the guy.
0: And... We thought he was going to be what DJ Horn is. We yes, we thought we thought he was going to maybe, I mean, he might not. He was probably not going to be averaging twenty a game, but he could have averaged sixteen or something like that, because because of his ability to get to the basket. He is long. He is lanky. He's quick. He's versatile. He can also shoot. So in the beginning, we're thinking, okay, this guy has a chance to be a really good player and compliment maybe DJ Horn if, you know, DJ Horn ends up going off. Then, of course, he hit that huge bump in the road where it just looked like he lost all confidence and it just was horrible, horrible. And finally, he started to get back into the swing of things and finding his stride. But it blows because it's literally at the point of the season where, for lack of, for lack of better words, the season's pretty much shot at this point. And he's finally getting back into that rhythm that we know he can play at a high level at, but we can't seem to really pull it out in, in these games and we can't seem to really win and help Jaden Taylor out a little bit, you know, him and DJ Horn really can't do everything. And we, I, I feel like we just need more from Casey because, I just like with we've had such a minimal amount of games this year where we've seen all the guys that we know that can score the ball. Well, play well at the same time. It's like you get maybe like DJ horn and Jaden Taylor, one game, the only two guys that are doing it. Then you might get only like Casey doing it one game Then you might get. And then for a while, it was just DJ horn doing everything by himself. Then you had like, Jaden taylor and dj burns so it's been a bunch of different like mixes and matches and i'm not saying they all gotta they gotta all got gotta put up a 20 burger but like if dj horn puts up a a 20 point night there's no reason that Jaden taylor and case Morcel combined can put up like 12 to 16 it's just like we have the guys to be able to average double figures and just this year it, it just kind of fell by the wayside. And Casey was kind of forcing shots here and there. He lost a little bit of confidence. Jaden Taylor lost some confidence. And it just really created like a negative energy that kind of flowed through everybody besides, you know, just basically saying, okay, we're going to have to just rely on DJ Horn to bring us back into the game. And he's not Superman. He's not. I mean it seemed like he was a few games for sure keeping us in there but I mean I mean we 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 have good guys and it it sucks to see them not you know suck to see them not playing at the level we knew they could throughout the course of the season especially in Jaden Taylor and now that he's you know in this stage where he's just he's playing well but it's maybe a little bit too late it sucks there's no other way to really put it
1: yeah, going back to what you're talking about, Casey, um he was really frustrated most of the night. He was showing a lot of emotion that I hadn't seen from him. I think that he's realizing that, you know, it's getting down to it. Um mm-hmm. where he's not gonna be able to play uh college basketball. But a lot of his frustration came from the constant flopping um from a couple of uh tar heels. Um Cormac Ryan in specific specifically, who is now officially on my hate list uh, of college basketball players. You know, in Notre Dame, I don't think I don't remember the constant flopping that I saw during that game. I mean, at one point they called a double foul on a on, on DJ Horn and Cormac, where uh DJ was running off a screen and Cormac hit the screener and just completely no 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 hit the defender of the screener and just completely fell over um and Casey was especially frustrated because I think three of his five fouls were off flops two by Cormac and one by Cadeau um and instead of calling the flop instead of calling that they just you know called offensive fouls all night long, which was the dumbest thing ever. And then there was the one uh, loose ball where uh, Jaden Taylor kind of lost it, dove on the ground to pick it up, and then R.J. Davis jumps on top of him. Um, No foul called. uh, And then R.J. goes for the ball, misses the ball, and punches Taylor in the face, and nothing happened off that and you know it was just one of those games man where nothing and i hate and i don't it, the refs were not the reason's why that why we lost that game we lost the game because we could not hit a freaking shot in the second half mm-hmm. um but it's just frustrating to watch what how the whistle is in that arena um i mean at one point the the free throws were 8 to nothing and all four of the shooting foul attempts were late calls. And, you know, I they were fouls, I agree, but call them. Don't yeah. wait for the ball to be a miss to call the foul.
0: Yeah, the late calls are 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 interesting. You know, I think I heard something from, I don't know, this was probably a, a while ago. I can't really remember where I heard this, but, like, I think some ref was talking about how, that like, if they're going to, if the if the layup is like if somebody gets fouled on a layup and the ball goes in like they if it's kind of disrupt if it's not going to disrupt the flow of the game like they're going to let it go but like if if if, it, if he gets obviously fouled and the ball doesn't go in like they're they'll, they'll they will call the foul because you know obviously it is
1: that's just stupid
0: it, it does it really doesn't make any sense it they need to be better at that. And obviously this is not us hating on the the rest for the UNC state game. I mean, this is just refs in general where I think they just need to be more, more consistent. It's just, I feel like a lot of the times they, they, they want to, they, they lose sight because they, they're the ones calling the game. So they think they have the, I guess the higher power and the authority to kind of, control the game how they want it to be controlled rather than letting the game be played the way it should. And it's been a, it's been an issue, I think, for many, many years. And, you know, hopefully some changes come soon, but I don't think there will be. I just hope that they stop doing that little late call stuff. Even if it is in our favor, you should be calling it You know, when you see something bad happening, like you should not be waiting. You should not be waiting to see if it's going to like disrupt the game, because then if it because then if it doesn't, then then you got to make up like do like three or two or three makeup calls on the other side just to balance out what you didn't or did call. It's just it's like, what are we doing here? It's just that's all the that's I feel like that's all refing is is you just. You make up, you're just doing a bunch of makeup calls on one side of the ball uh, and the other, like all night long until you, you, you hopefully that you're doing the right thing, essentially.
1: Um, One more thing about the officials is like, like we were talking, like, like you were saying, consistency. Um, First half, there was eight foul calls, eight foul calls on both teams combined. Um, The first nine minutes of the second half, there was 17 fouls called just in that first nine minutes. Um, There ended up being 34 fouls called for the game, which means in that last 11, there was uh, six. Um, And do I think during that nine-minute period, was it more physical? No. I just think that they weren't letting any ticky-tack stuff go, which is not consistent, and it's just frustrating. Pressuring for both teams, honestly, but whatever.
0: It is what it is. I mean, defense didn't look great, but you know, we'll move on, man. It's just it's tough losing the Carolina twice in the same year. It, ne- it never sits well. And I mean, we'll we'll move on to the to the other in-state rival that we are playing Monday night in the Duke Blue Devils. Obviously, uh, I mean what I mean, guys. What else could be said about this this Duke this Duke team? I mean, you know they've been they they're not what what hasn't been said about this Duke team that hasn't already been said by pretty much everybody in the sports journalism world, I should say. I mean, you know it's Duke. Duke is puke. Wake, I yeah, you you get that whole thing, but. So they're currently sitting at 9 in the net right now in the rankings, uh second in the ACC. Uh they're obviously showing their legitimacy once again. They are I mean, well, they'll will be a, a de- I think maybe not a heavy favorite, but they'll be they'll be a decent favorite if they if they win maybe a couple games in the ACC tournament and kind of just continue to solidify the, their legitimacy and how good they are. Um Wolfpack seemed to always play well against Duke uh, when in PNC. Uh, it always seems like that, but actually in the last four meetings, it's uh, in PNC. It's, it's actually a two, two split. So it's another anticipated matchup for this. So kind of see who breaks that tie right there in the last, uh, in the last four meetings are now to be five guys at this point. State has really little to play for. I mean, attorney hopes are essentially gone at this point you never They're really gone. know but it should not be a reason for them to uh fold in the final game final home game of the year i mean we need pnc to be absolutely rocking i mean we need all of the support they will the Wolfpack will need all the support. We need to find a way to rattle these blue devils early. You know, they're only used to kind of playing in those smaller gym, their smaller gym and Cameron and Or and I think if we can get them out of their comfort zone early, like we have done in previous years in PNC, we might be able to get out a win. I mean, we've had some success against Duke at home, and this can be another this could essentially just be a fitting end to what's been kind of just a roller coaster of a year for the pack. Uh, you know, some, these will, some of some of our guys last home game that they'll ever play for in a Wolfpack Jersey. So we just got to bring the energy, the passion, aggression. Can't let Duke get off to a good start early. We gotta, we gotta make it uncomfortable, comfortable for him. And, uh, I guess another question that can be raised is, uh, Will this be Kevin Keats's last home game? Who knows?
1: Yeah. Um, one thing about the crowd is I ex—I seriously expect it to be like 60 40, like split between the fans. Like, I genuinely have no idea how the game sold out other than the fact that there's going to be a lot of Duke Blue in there.
0: That's probably accurate.
1: Um, And ugh, I just. I want us to win, but I also don't because I think Kevin Keats needs to go. And it, it that's when it gets frustrating as a fan because you always want your team to win. But, like, we have a definite ceiling. And it's just frustrating to watch the same thing year in and year out. Um, But anyways, we'll get into some of the Duke Blue Devil players. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, no need to really introduce this guy. As we know, what the seven foot sophomore is capable of leading the team in nearly 17 points per game, eight rebounds per game, and almost two blocks per game. And he's a force in nature on both ends of the floor. Um, he's not a super strong three point shooter, but he's he is solid enough where you know, Burns, who I guess will be on him. I really don't want him on him, but uh. Burns will have to respect the jumper. Um, you know he he draws so much attention. You know he's their best player by far, um, and he really can distribute the ball well to the guys who can knock down shots. The Jeremy Roaches, the Jared McCain's, um, Tyrese Proctors. Um, we just need to find a way to keep him contained and limit his ability to take over the game, um, especially on the on the. Glass. Um, he's an excellent offensive rebounder. So um, I'd hope that DRR and Middlebrooks are on him, but knowing Keats, it'll probably be Burns, um, which I think will be a mistake. And I guess like one weakness of that Duke team is their depth in the front court. So if we're able to get Philipowski um, or Mark Mitchell in foul trouble, uh, that'll bode well for us.
0: Yeah. So another guy, Jeremy Roach are, you know, obviously that's this guy's been rock solid for Duke ever since he pretty much stepped on the court. You know, he's been there for, you know, a good, a good handful of years. So, you know, he, he's been, he's been through it all with, with Duke and he's definitely the leader of this team. Uh, he's knocked down three point shooter. He controls the offense, you know, with Tyrese Proctor, who we'll also mention a little bit later, I mean, I mean the guy, the guys, the guys a stud. We got a, he's he's a he's a he's a force on both sides of the ball, just like Phil is. I mean, he's their leading uh, steals guy at at one at one over one steal a game. He's he's really just an efficient scorer, just all over the all over the place. I mean, he's he's such a he's really just some guy that is one of the guys that we really have to watch out for. In this game, I would assume maybe Horn or uh, Michael O'Connell would guard him. You know, I think as far as height-wise, maybe, and versatility-wise, maybe one of those guys would. But, I mean, Roach is shooting 46% from three. So, whoever is guarding him cannot lose sight for the love of God. Because if we do, because this will most likely happen a few times, we'll draw all of our focus on Filipowski – all he'll do is just take one look opposite wing, find Roach, and he'll knock down a three. So we cannot we cannot let him get hot early because that's only gonna make it so much harder to really come back from a Duke team that is already you know, good at kind of not letting people do what they want essentially, yeah. um, Roach. Like you said, I
1: would expect uh, probably probably Michael O'Connell to be on him because he's more of a threat offensively than um, Tyrese Proctor you mentioned. Um, but, yeah, he he is a super solid player, super efficient, all three levels. Um, and a lot of his three-point shots are open because of Philipowski, uh, because of Jared McCain, because of Tyrese Proctor, all guys who, you know, can uh, – Crate. Um, and yeah, now I'll get into talking about Jeremy Kane, six foot three freshman guard, um, super efficient scorer, um, guy who loves to attack off the bounce. You know, even a, a guy at his size, um, you know, finishes the ball road, really, finishes really well. And he's super, super active on the offensive glass. I mean, he has had a couple. I think three or four. I think he had a, actually had a streak of three straight double-digit rebound games. So, you know, a guy like Marcel will match up with uh, McCain's physicality, and McCain's a guy who who really jumped up has jumped up uh, NBA NBA draft board. So, um, you know, he's a really solid player. I mean, he's the type of guy that we need on our team, a guy who scores who can score without the ball, who can score with the ball, who plays really solid defense, who rebounds the ball efficiently. Like that's the kind of player that we need. And yeah, there aren't five stars laying around everywhere, but I mean, he is a fantastic player.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Another guy, Mark Mitchell, uh, six, nine sophomore forward, physical, physical threat in the paint. Uh, Score the ball when he needs to. I mean, he he, him and uh, Filipowski are you know they they play play really well off each other. He's another guy that you know attacks that glass, so he can provide second third chance opportunities. Um, And every now and then, he can hit that he can hit that three ball, and you know he can hit it at a more effective rate than people might give him credit for. I think in recent recent games for sure. So even him, you know, he might be somebody that we need to kind of watch out, not not give him something wide open. But, you know, make sure that, you know, we know where he is on the floor because he will be able to attack the glass on us as well. He's very versatile himself. So we, just, we, we have to find a body and box out. I mean, the the last thing I want to see, and I know that you want to see, Thomas, is Michael O'Connell trying to box out Mark Mitchell on the defensive end. I mean, that's the last thing we need to see.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's another thing that, you know, it's so frustrating that we switch one through four. We, we, we don't make adjustments based off of team. You know, mm-hmm. we're able to match up with a team like Duke because we have guys like Burns, Middlebrooks, and Diara, especially Diara. We have a guy like Diara who is so versatile on the defensive end he can guard the bigger forwards who also can handle the ball and can also shoot um and it doesn't make any sense why you know we played him some minutes at the five where he wasn't the guy switching on screens you know he was the guy hedging or playing drop coverage like i don't see why we can't adjust a little bit you know and just switch one through three. If we're switching between our our guards, between Roach, McCain, and Proctor, I'm fine with it if, if Michael O'Connell gets switched on to Jared McCain, who is a good rebounder. I'm fine with that because he he can match the height. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, Duke Duke's going to be a team that's going to take advantage of that. They're going to go to the post if we switch a, a DJ Horn. Or a Michael O'Connell on a Mark Mitchell. They'll go to him in the post. They'll take advantage of that. And it's just something that another thing of Kevin Keese's philosophy that just makes no sense. You know, I just don't understand how you constantly do the same thing over over and over and over and expect different results, you know.
0: Expect winning results all the time.
1: Yeah. Um. Next guy, Tyrese Proctor, we've already mentioned him a little bit, but he's a guy who, you know, hasn't honestly lived up to his expectations of the year, but he's still really, really good player. Um, He's a great passer, almost four assists a game. And, you know, he's becoming more of the point guard, which started, you know, the second half of last year when he became this, you know, out of nowhere guy, you know, just dominating for them um you know he's taken on that role of the point guard and it's allowed roach to take on more of a shooting guard role which has been effective you know roach is having one of his best years in efficiency and Proctor's ability to find the open man distributed it well so well is a real concern for us um as our half court defense you know like i said has sometime sometimes his issues adjusting and rotating um I'd expect probably DJ Horn to be on him because he's Tyrese is six foot five, but he's not a physical six foot five. He's a guy who, you know, wants to use finesse when he's finishing around the rim. He wants to pull up in the mid range. He wants to um, shoot a bunch of threes. So you know, Horn Horn will match up pretty well with him. Um, And yeah, I mean they got a lot of talent and we're not even mentioning Caleb Foster, five-star who may or may not play. He did not play against the uh, UVA. Um, and yeah, I mean, every single one of their guys is a threat.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it all starts, you know, with us making sure that we rebound and not, you know, allow second and third chance points. This is, I I, we're going to, beat this freaking you know saying before like until we're dead essentially i mean if we rebound the basketball prevent second chance points get the 50 50 balls play with aggression and confidence not craziness but confidence we can keep ourselves in the game and not feel like we have to claw back from a double digit deficit like we're seemingly doing almost once every two games essentially if we can just get you know have good transition defense and rebound the basketball i like our chances a lot better
1: yeah um transition defense needs to be better um it was a little bit better in the unc game we only allowed six fast rate points i believe Mm -hmm. but duke's another team where they've got five guys who, when they grab a rebound, they can dribble the ball up the court. Um, And, you know, if Burns is not getting back, then they're going to take advantage of that. They're going to get layups. They're going to get open threes. And we can't let that happen for a Duke team who already is insanely good in the half court. Mm-hmm. You know, just got to get back on defense we should not be pressing this team they have too many ball handlers we are not going to be able to force a ton of turnovers in in the full court in the half court we can pressure the ball and and maybe make the have them you know make a couple bad passes here and there and we get out in transition but transition defense needs to be a focus
0: yes absolutely absolutely we'll see how that duke game goes um Lastly, I mean, final game of the season, we got we got to play Pitt. Uh, at Pitt, uh, I mean, we've already played them. We kind of a really tough loss at home uh, by three, 67-64, first meeting. I mean, you got anything to say about these guys? Like, you know, anything else that we got to say except just hopefully we don't embarrass ourselves?
1: Uh, I mean – Hit is a solid team. They're they're still on the bubble. So they're gonna be fighting for their lives against us. Um and it'd be kind of good to uh, you know, play what what would you call it? You know, play spoil, play mm-hmm. spoil their tournament chances. Um yeah. but yeah, I mean the difference in the last game was just free throw shooting six of fifteen for us compared to eighteen of twenty for them. That cannot happen again. Um, it just can't. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll lose by twenty on the road if we do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, just take care of the ball, limit, make Henson take tough shots, and I feel pretty good about it. I know I don't think Pitt has more talent than us, and I think we can win that win that one.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um... Yeah, I mean just we gotta limit just get back in transition, dude. Just I mean, like allowing them to get 16 fast break points. I mean, it's just it's just just tough, man. When Keith Keat's still talking about that train, like priding himself on that defense. And yet we're you know, we might celebrate, you know, after a made shot, or we're looking at the ref like, hey man, what why didn't you call that? Next thing you know, we give up a wide open bucket on the opposite end, even if it's on a made basket or on a missed basket. It's just, it's tough to see.
1: Yeah, the the biggest thing for me, I can live with fast break points off of turnovers. It, it, you know, if we have, you know, we only had six in this game, but this is hypothetical. If we, had, if we have a game where we turn the ball over 10 or 11 times and we give up, you know, eight, fast break points off of that. I can live with that. It's the ones where off a made basket, they are getting their, their guards are dribbling the length of the court. Nobody's stopping ball and they're just getting layups or they're getting fouled or they're even a long pass over the top of the defense for a layup or an open three. That's the stuff we can't have at this level. And it's just doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um we mentioned it about the the Duke game uh pits another team where I would like to see a stop switching one through four um we did a good job defending Hinson we made him take tough shots in the first matchup, but a lot of his baskets came off of switches when Horn O'Connell or Jane Taylor were on him and he just buried him in the post. And I just don't see why we can't have Diara stick on him the whole time. If they, if if Hinson's a screener, or if he's the ball handler in a pick and roll, why we can't have normal pick and roll defense? Have have somebody hedge, have somebody um, play drop. Like we don't need to switch everything one through four. All right?
0: Yeah, we we don't we don't, and that's that. That's just still part of Keats's. Inability to really philosophy. Make, it just it's just his inability to really make adjustments quickly. And it's not
1: even quickly. This is a thing that you could see coming, like matchup wise. Especially you know the last six or seven games, Diara has been the most effective player
0: mm-hmm, by far.
1: Or well, albeit outside of G.J. Horn. Right.
0: Yeah, but a guy who's not constantly scoring the ball, but is making his presence felt. In yes, other
1: like he, you, right. you can, you know, that Dr. is having a good game, regardless of what his stat line looks like. Like he. Correct. And why are we giving teams mismatches that they can take advantage of when we don't have to? Um. And then even if if we do have a mismatch. Then why don't we come with a double or, you know, just force them to do something else other than, oh, they've got D.J. Horn on Henson. Let's post him up. Oh, no helps coming. Bucket, you know. It's just the simple things like that. I don't know why. And I don't know how as a college basketball coach. He doesn't make those type of adjustments.
0: You can't keep getting away with it, man. You can't keep getting away with it.
1: And and if we don't fire him, guess what? We'll run it back, with, and it'll be the same old, same old thing. <laughs> run it back. <laughs> so,
0: oh, so bad. My like little, banging yeah, your head against a
1: table, table type torture. Like, God. <laughs>
0: it was terrible dude hopefully i just i'm just hoping we don't embarrass ourselves maybe if we if we can find a way to kind of come together as a team we might be able to spoil uh Pitts chances but we'll see man i really it'll be an interesting game especially after what we witnessed with this duke game we'll see but um well guys that's been another episode of the Helen hoops podcast uh as always we appreciate you guys listening along uh, you know, keep following us. Uh, continue to follow us on Instagram and uh, Twitter, and we uh, we we really do appreciate the support, uh, guys. It 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 means a lot to us over the course of this season. We've had a lot of fun doing this. Uh, we'll kind of see how this uh this week goes. Um, we'll give you kind of like a a preview for the next one. We'll kind of do a little preview of the ACC tournament. Kind of see where we fall in that category, and we'll kind of go from there and. But, like, again, uh, as I said, again, we, we do appreciate you guys listening and following along. Uh, I mean, it means a lot to me and Tom, so we do appreciate you guys. And uh, on that note, go uh, back. Go Pack. Go pack.